Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Bonnie D. in the house, where we're looking at some of my guests are disappearing and coming and going. Happy New Year to everybody. It's 2024. We made it. That's all I can say is we made it. We're here. This is, thank you, Leonard. This is week three of my 2024 Crystal Ball Prediction Special. You all know how dear this is to me. I bring together a potpourri of guests who've been on my shows during the previous calendar year. Or last, we were doing two shows in December, so that calendar year. I don't mix and match everybody being a lawyer or an artist or a psychologist or a teacher or or a techie person. It's whoever accepts the invitation. So we get a wonderful potpourri of attitudes and impressions and perspectives. And they're all going to share four minutes, almost on the clock. I'll see how they do. Of predictions for what's coming up. And our theme continues to be the future of AI and Fill in the blank. So there you go. I have a poem and shout out to my engineer, Andrew at Voice America. Thank you for helping us get on the air. Everybody wave hello to LinkedIn, to Facebook. Rumor has it we're also on YouTube Live today. I set it up. We'll see what happens after if I get a link. There we go. So I, as always, have asked ChatGPT, my friend, to help me put together a little poem to introduce the show today. And I'm going to read it to you. If you see, when you hear your name, I want you to wave. And smile or do something dancing. I don't care. Don't sing. It'll interrupt me. So here we go. Welcome, seekers of the time unknown to crystal ball predictions where tales are sown. And that could be S-O-W-N or S-E-W-N, depending on your thoughts. Hosted by Bonnie D, the maestra of manana's delight. That's me. Sultaness of speculation. I've been called worse. And diva of divination's flight. Brian, I thought you'd like that. Futurist creme de la creme's predictions today will shine bright with, here we go, Alex, wave hello, Martin, wave hello, Brian, wave hello, Leonard, Grin, Eric, and Noah and S.A. in the spotlight. In tech's embrace, these thought leaders bold, confident, and articulate AI predictions will be told. All leaders with vision peering into 2024's landscape. But when the year ahead reveals, will their predictions really take shape? Oh, we have to see. Raise your cup, whether Java, Joe, Earl, Jack, or Dom. On Tech Revolution stage, we're poised with aplomb. See Dom and aplomb run. Join me, Bonnie D, with her scarlet mic in view, escorting us into 2024, where tech dreams we will brew. What'd you all think? You like it? Can I, can I get a, a thumbs up? Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I have to tell it to be brief. It's very interesting. And that was edited by me. So it's human plus AI. Just wanted you to know. I'm going to do a quick introduction for each of you, and then we will get started with your predictions. So here we go. Just wave hello again. Alex Backer. He spells it with a little two dots over the A. PhD holds 11 patents and was named to MIT Alumni and Technologies Top 100 in 2021. He co-created the Drizit app, D-R-I-S-I-T, that lets you monitor your drones idle time. I'm sure you all have idle drones by sharing it with people around the world. He's the author of 101 Clues to a Happy Life. Alex, welcome. And his book is there to see. Martin Stanzig is with us. Martin is Chief Technology Officer for Rising. That's R-I-Z-I-N-G and Global Head for SAP Business Technology Platform. That's a big title, Martin. 
Martin at Wipro, W-I-P-R-O. He has managed teams of 100 and more people and is a speaker at SAP Sapphire, ASUG, that's America SAP Users Group, and SAP Tech Ed. Welcome, Martin. Brian Matamor is here. He forgot the W in his name. I always go by Brian W, and he spells Brian with a Y, so it's always very complicated. He's the co-founder and chief idea guy of the growth engine company, Innovation Agency. He has ideated. See, he doesn't talk about brainstorming anymore, kids. He talks about ideation. Over 200 innovation projects leading to, get this, $3 billion in new sales annually for a third of the Fortune 100. That's an accomplishment, Brian. His newest books on creativity and generative AI are Quirks and Quotes. There we go. Leonard Lee is back. Leonard is the managing director and founder of Next with a capital X, Next Curve, a research advisory focused on, and I don't know what this means, Leonard, but it sounds so important, cross-domain ICT technology and industry research. He is a former managing partner with Gartner, Inc., and a partner in principle with IBM and PwC. Leonard, wonderful to see you. You were the first to show up today, and I appreciated that. Grin Lord is here. Hi, Grin. She's a licensed clinical psychologist. I'm looking for a therapist, Grin. We'll talk. And founder and CEO of Empathic. That's all lowercase, the letter M-P-A-T-H-I-C. Grin founded and serves on the boards of Therapists in Tech, a nonprofit offering support to over 3,000 clinicians to help define the digital mental health revolution. Grin, delighted to see you. We have Eric Myers, always smiling. Eric, let's get that award-winning smile. He's a university business instructor in human resources management and finance. Previously, he worked in banking and finance. He is a contributor to media and news outlets on HR, education, technology, and real estate investing. Eric, Always lovely to see you. Anda Cluet is here. She's on the business faculty at the College of Southern Nevada. In her corporate career, before teaching, she worked in accounting, financial planning, and change management, communication, and training, and is a small business and career coach. And delighted to see you. Happy New Year. Noah Fiedler is here. Oh, we've got a lawyer in the house. He's a shareholder of Barron and Newberger PC and a co-leader of their attorney risk management practice groups. No hallucinations. Noah teaches professional responsibility at the University of Wisconsin Law School. And finally, we have S.A. Grant, known to some of us as Chanel. He's the CEO of the Boss Uncaged Digital Marketing Agency, founder of Wiz. Hub, W-I-Z-P-U-B, a digital automation content creation SaaS platform, and the host of the Boss Uncaged podcast. She, he specializes in brand and growth strategist consulting. So now you all know who you are, and now our listeners and viewers know who we are. And let's get started with the party. So Alex Backer, I'm putting you on speaker view. Why don't you take your four minutes of glory and tell us what we're going to see in the new year. Alex, welcome. Thank you for having me, Barney. Um, I think we're going to see global internet coverage. I was I just spent uh, Christmas at a hotel in the middle of the Andes in Patagonia with incredible uh, internet coverage, thanks to Starlink. We're going to see the blurring of borders uh, and the rise of the global citizenship. Um, the, this Starlink was not formally available in Argentina where I was, but we tapped into the Chilean one because the satellites know no, no borders. I think we're going to see decentralization uh, much more than we've already seen during the pandemic. People will choose to live and work wherever they want in the most beautiful places in the world because we're no longer tied. Not, not, not only do we have Zoom, but we have tools like uh, like Drizzt to see anywhere on earth on demand, no matter where we are. I think entertainment online will become social the way that our stadiums and concerts are in offline real world. Uh, I've made a bunch of patterns about that. Um, they, I think that humans will uh, start having spare parts. A lot of the times that we die, it's because we just don't have the time to get something fixed. Um, when something fails, like a heart or an organ, 
uh, we'll have spare parts, spare hearts, so that we uh, that, that go online when one fails. And this will lead to most people in the developed world uh, living to 100. That will be followed eventually by radical life extension once we reverse the genetic aging program that is uh, built into our genes to, uh, to make us die after 100. There will be absolutely pervasive AI uh, that will blend uh, learning with evolution. And so there will be selection of the best algorithms uh, through an evolutionary or artificial evolution project uh, process. Uh, that will lead to an unprecedented age of abundance. Um, that itself will lead to a reversal of the plummeting birth rates that worry Elon Musk so much due to increased leisure time and the elimination of the famous half cost of sex, which means that only women have babies today. That will no longer be the case in the future. And so that will allow uh, people to dramatically increase birth rates because you won't need a woman to have babies. Uh, as well as through the extension of parenting age, uh, which allows older people to have, will, will allow older people to have babies too. We'll have AI-driven governance. Um, you know, those of us old enough remember how you know pressing zero 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 on phone menus to kind of please talk to a human 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 operator. We'll have the opposite. We'll have please can I please talk to an AI? I need somebody who actually understands what I'm talking about. Uh, phone menus will go away. Men menus are an artifact of not understanding language. We don't need to constrict people to uh, menus when you actually let them speak freely, when you can understand that with AI. Education will get uh, dramatically hyper-personalized person by person uh, through AI. And we'll see the end of the age of mediocrity. The same thing that happened that Amazon did to every, you know, quote-unquote mediocre uh, salesperson in the sense that, you know, no local retailer survives anymore because we now shop globally, not locally, will happen to every service. So mediocre teachers will be out of a job because we will all be educated by the very best teacher for every, every individual subject. The commoditization of knowledge that followed the internet uh, will be followed by the commoditization of intelligence. But what will be really hard is recognizing what's true and what isn't with a, a very big spread of deep fakes. Um, and so the, the, the hard thing will be recognizing, it'll, it'll be very easy to get the right answer from intelligence. The hard thing will be for people to recognize what is the right answer. Uh, people will continue to choose wrong even when, uh, red become, when right becomes readily available. There will be autonomous everything, uh, including drones, and that will lead to a dramatic reduction in crime because there will be transparency uh, of what's going on. So it's like just like there not a lot of crimes happen in front of policemen. Not a lot of crimes will happen in front of police uh, drones and bodyguards mediated by services like Drizzt. Uh, there will be continuous whole body health monitoring that allows us to see in, in almost real time the impact of our food choices and uh, health choices and exercise choices. War will shift from large-scale destruction to pinpointed killings of leaders and of critical infrastructure if leaders choose to do that. And there will be a continued reduction in religiousness rates. Uh, today, we've gone from uh, <clears throat> fewer than 20% of U.S. adults considering uh, over 60 considering themselves non-religious to 43% of 18 to 29-year-old Americans responding no religion. In Japan, 70% of people have non-religious feelings. In Italy, even though 80% of Italians call themselves Catholic, less than 20% actually attend services weekly. And in Israel, a country with almost 7 million Jews, uh, only 33% practice traditional religious worship. 
Wow. Somebody texted me and said, are we predicting the future for the to the ed, end of humanity or just for 2024? <laughs> Alex, I've never had a guest give 5,000 predictions in four minutes on the dot, and I appreciate it. Very, very interesting. Thank you so much. You covered everything with, as I said in my introduction, with great aplomb. So thank you very much. Let's move on and see what everybody else has to say. Uh, Martin Stanzig, you're next. Martin, you're on Spotlight. Go ahead. Thanks, Bonnie, and thanks for having me. Um, that's certainly a tough act to follow. Um, so I'll keep it more conservative actually this year, if you don't mind. Um, so from from my perspective, I think what we're seeing a continued convergence in generative AI with structured data sources. So in, what does it mean for, for our business specifically, but also for customers of ours? Customers of ours are, are automating um, you know, their business systems. In our case, it's SAP. And a lot of customers that and a lot of companies that we are working with are still talking about, you know, putting their own data into jail. So what does this do? What does continued convergence of generative AI with structured data do? It essentially takes the data out of jail. So that's kind of what we're seeing for next year. There are lots of um, innovations to come. Um, and, you know, it was really cumbersome in the last few years to, to get sort of these structured data sources combined with those language models that we've seen, ChatGBT, um, to train them up to to give them additional insights was was really tough. So um, the the term of the year I think will be the vector engine, uh, which will be taking the the structured information and making them available for these large language models that we've seen in the market market. Um, and that's kind of my prediction for 2024 that we're seeing sort of access to all of that business information that is in these systems sometimes monstrous systems of monstrous companies that are now being freed and made available to to the business users um, as a whole. Thank you, Martin. Martin, do you see AI being used more for content creation for companies like yours, like Rising and Wipro? What do you see? No, I think I think we will uh, for companies in our space. It will be efficiency gains. Now we're still on the on the verge of sort of driving efficiencies, operational efficiencies out of companies. Um, and the the generative AI part is, is just more the the engine to make it more accessible to talk to it rather than to have you know um, hordes of people that are disappearing for three weeks in a in a broom closet and creating reports. So I think that's sort of the first first engine. Yes, there's there's this generative cap- capabilities and the you know the the creativeness in the business side, but I think that's a smaller smaller area. So that's obviously there. And we use it as well for for coding, for example, it's fantastic. We see efficiency gains of 20 to 25% um, across the board for developers when they're using sort of AI to help them develop. And no, it will not, I don't think, take the the expertise and the experience away from senior developers. So they will always be necessary. But I think there are efficiency gains that we have. And that's sort of the creative side. But I think the the biggest bang that we will get out of the, the AI drive is operational efficiencies. Thank you very much. That's very optimistic. Appreciate that. Thank you, Martin. Brian Matamore. I have to say Brian W. I'm sorry. I <laughs> Brian came to me through something called the National Publicity Summit about 10 years ago as an author, and he was on my creativity show. And somehow we've stayed in touch over all these years. And then when I started doing Technology Revolution, I hauled him in and said, Brian, you're coming on the show. No, 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 I'm too busy. Yes, yes, yes. So here he is, and he's been on a couple of shows in 2023. Brian, welcome back. Let's hear what you have to say. Go ahead. 
Well, thank you, Bonnie. I want to talk about AI and innovation. And this uh, dovetails nicely, with, I think, with what Martin said. You know, for the past 20 years, I've been trying, some might say unsuccessfully, to promote the notion of a total innovation enterprise. And this is bringing innovation not only to growth areas, obviously new products and new st growth strategies, business models, et cetera, but also to process improvement. And what's, I think, exciting about that initiative is it involves everybody in coming up with new ideas and new programs to help make the company, you know, organization more efficient, quicker, better, faster. And so now I think with AI, I think there's a huge opportunity, and I'll be talking about this for the next 10 years probably, about how to mash up ideation processes uh, with AI. Um, now, there's actually some research that supports the <laughs> where I'm going with this. There's a recent study from uh, Harvard Business School and BCG. Some of you may know it. Uh, they, you know, they use 750 BCG consultants to talk about 18 different tasks they were working on. Working on. The net of this study was that they were 12% more productive, 20 getting jobs done 25% quicker. And the astonishing one is the quality improved by 40%. But if you go under that and look beneath that, inside what really happened is it's the, the middle managers and sort of, for lack of a better term, lower level employees who had the, the, the biggest gains. The senior managers, not nearly as much. And so to me, when you link up this, with AI and ideation processes, all of a sudden the total innovation enterprise, again, which we've been trying to promote for the last 10 years, uh, can become a reality. And this is not just you know AI to, to, to do a better blog. This is AI plus ideation in team, in team work and team uh, sessions. So what form will that take? Um, and, and what competencies will be required? We've all seen ads now for prompt engineers, right? No coding experience necessary, and it's uh, $300,000 salary, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's half the equation. You need uh, prompt engineers for sure, but also you need um, ideation specialists. And, you know, in our work, we work with dozens and dozens of different ideation techniques. So, you know, problem redefinition and TRIZ triggers and semantic intuition and great thinkers and silly idea, et cetera, et cetera. We have all these processes we use. But now, uh, and the key to that, and, and the reasons Bonnie said brainstorming versus ideation, it's, it's about the stimuli that you bring to the ideation. And so AI, oh my gosh, there is no better stimuli creator on the planet than AI. So now um, we will have um, in the next year, really in the next two to five years, this notion of an ideation strategist. And, um, you know, selfless plug here, my new book, um, in, uh, Islands of Invention, How to Create Extraordinary Innovation Centers, we go into some depth about how to, what an ideation strategist is and, um, and how they might work. So um, that's what I wanted to share with you guys. It's very exciting. It will, I, I really think it'll start next year, but it'll really be in the, the two or three years following that we'll begin to see uh, ideation strategists. So warm up your resume if that's something that you would like to do. Very interesting. Thank you. The last time with Brian, when Brian was on, he created a script through ChatGPT. I believe he used ChatGPT. Um, yes. uh, let's say, what if the people who make Oreo cookies wanted to start a new flavor? And he asked ChatGPT, what flavor would have value to the brand and would resonate with the with the legacy audience, the 
the eaters, the nibblers. And it was very interesting the way ChatGPT brought in all kinds of things about the particular flavor. Brian, do you remember what flavor it was? I, you I, I, I do. Um, and we prompted in all different ways. But the one that I liked best was sort of the the orange cream, the creamsicle Oreo, because it's got the, what we've done work for Oreo. We've done projects for Oreo. And, and, and so we know that brand very well. Um, so the creamsicle Oreo was one. And then in the form, there was sort of the notion of a honeycombed uh, lattice thing on the, on the cookie part. And, and that would be uh, less calories and crunchy. And so both of those ideas were, came from, uh, from generative AI. But of course I ran probably a thousand different uh, ideas through this before I got those two that I thought were really good. So we, we need the human as part of this as well. Thank you. And it was very tasty, I'm sure. I hope you were eating Oreos and drinking milk while you were doing well, this. Well, I ate the brownie chips Ahoy, which is one we created, which is delicious if you haven't tried it. There, thank you very much. I'm hungry already. <laughs> Leonard Lee, you're up next. Leonard, go ahead. Regale us. Impress uh, us. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't even know where to start with prediction. Oh, start here. somewhere. Uh, I'm not really a big <laughs> fan of doing this stuff either, but I'm going to give it a shot, okay? Yes. Um, How about this? We start off with uh, some hopeful for humanity. I mean, I think there's a lot of talk out there about how AI, especially generative AI, is going to displace jobs. And um, one of the things I predict for this year is this, is um, gener the generative AI movement is going to experience a reckoning. Um, and this is just based on observations that I've made through my research, talking to a lot of firms, figuring out what is the state of the application of these technologies in their enterprises. So, um, there's some uh, high potential for hope for people um, where, you know, I think generally folks are going to realize um, that um, the generative AI tools have limitations, are uh, challenging, uh, especially in their application for a lot of those, um, let's call it industrial applications that uh, you might uh, find a lot of these productivity um, hypotheses, um, you know, anchored to. And so I think what we're going to see is a lot of uh, companies out there, um, just like the early days of metaverse, the internet, the web, that are going to be grasping for some sustainable end market value that will sustain the narrative. So, uh, and in the meantime, I think some very um, grounded folks are going to find some true opportunities where generative AI uh, uh, tools can provide that incremental, and I hear the term incremental a lot, incremental boost in productivity uh, in certain um, domains. Um, the other thing I think um, we're going to see is uh, a lot of companies focusing on privacy and trust. And I like what Alex brought up earlier, um, that there's going to be these concerns about deep fakes. And one of the things that uh, some of these AI-infused automation tools enable, or what we I call WMDs, or weapons of mass defecation, uh, the production of massive amounts of junk, um, there are going to be companies that are going to help use this very same technologies that are used to generate the junk to help filter it out because we only have so much um, time that we can spend on junk. And I, I'm sure that a lot of you uh, could use a lot less exposure to that junk that consumes our time. 
I think there's going to be that whole um, trend that starts to um, kick in toward the end of the year as we realize, hey, um, you know, all this automation, especially in the creation of content, is not not all that great. Uh, it actually works against our productivity. So th those are my predictions, at least um, uh, a, a select couple. Um, Thank for you, 2024. Leonard. Would you eat an Oreo cookie with an orange creamsicle <laughs> filling? I, I'd love one. I think that's okay. a great idea. We might have to arrange for a a, a virtual tea party, and Brian will send us all the Sounds Oreos. Great. With the, there you go. I think that would be fun. Leonard, you did great. Thank you. I didn't know you were anti-prediction, but you certainly <clears throat> ponied up and you did great. So thank you very much. You're and welcome. I love the, love Only your background. You. I, oh. See, I, I appreciate that. Will you be doing as much traveling to as many events and conferences next year, this year, Leonard? Uh, I'm afraid so, but I'm hoping that generative AI will help me uh, in projecting this perception that I'm traveling much more than I actually am. Okay. I have to stop following you on LinkedIn then. Oh Thank God. you very much. I'm always amazed that another conference, it is another conference. Does he sleep? <laughs> I don't know. Let's move on. Grin Lord, happy to have you here. It's been a long time since you've been on the show, and I'm so delighted that you accepted my invitation. So Grin, full screen, go ahead. What, what are we going to be thinking and feeling if that's what you want to talk about with AI? Go ahead. Gosh, no, you'd think my predictions would be more psychological uh, in nature, but unfortunately, they're going to be more focused on the AI itself. Um, and I also focused just on this next year. Um, one of my predictions is I think that LLMs at this point have been pretty much trained on all the data that's available on the internet. And so structured, curated, specific, small data sets that have ground truths will continue to be really valuable. So legacy companies that have this data are going to do kind of what Martin's saying, lock it down or open it up and license it. Um, and you're seeing now OpenAI uh, in November, they actually asked for um, uh, data sets that reflect human society that are not accessible online to the public. And they wanted data sets that expressed human intention in long form writing and conversations rather than disconnected snippets. So you're seeing this move towards uh, expanding to human intention, getting you know undiscovered data sources, things that have more empathy, emotion, um, and then you're seeing companies try to lock down their content, like we're seeing with the New York Times saying, "Hey, we we owned that, we want that back." Um, so I think registries. My second prediction is that registries and traceability are going to become a huge movement, and licensing is going to be a huge um, area of business focus. Um, some more fun predictions. I think LLMs will start learning from each other and doing cultural tailoring. So someone could say, hey, write me a screenplay in English. Now translate it to viewers in Japan, including not just the language, but all the cultural references. Um, and that healthcare and life science, I think, actually are the uh, industries that have the most um, to you know, stand to improve from AI and be transformed for the better, especially with women and minorities. I think there's going to be a lot with uh, improving health equity and using AI to monitor health equity. Um, and then my last fun prediction is that I think AI relationships are going to continue to take off with AI girlfriends and boyfriends and things like that. Uh, it's already massive, but it's going to keep going. So there oh they are. Oh my goodness. Are we going to get another movie like her? Grin, are we going to get another? Will you I mean, it's happening. With... It's already 
Yeah, you like, so. w- would you be willing just for 30 seconds to dip your toe into the water of the future of therapy in terms of will we be using and like I think Anne's tilting her head like what's Bonnie asking her uh Grin what about will we be having AI therapists just like Brian uses prompts to find out what Oreo flavors might be good a thousand prompts will I be able to go online and have an AI therapist who would listen to me and respond back maybe with a voice I don't know Grin what do you think uh, for sure. Uh, they already exist, but now they're going to be highly personalized. So just like someone was predicting about education, you're going to be able to pick exactly who you want to talk to, what they'll uh, have specialties and things like that. Um, there's been a couple of studies that have come out um, in collaboration with Stanford and other places where people say they trust talking to a chatbot or an AI therapist more than an actual therapist because they feel like they're not going to be judged and it's more confidential. Also, there's a bottleneck in providers right now. We don't have enough therapists to treat the mental health crisis going on in this country, at least. And so this is a way to solve that. Um, Does it replace human connection? Will people ultimately, you know, uh, benefit from that. I think that's still, um, there's some open questions there, but the research right now is pointing to AI therapists being just as effective as human therapists, if not more so and less judgmental. So there's a ton there uh, that is going on. Personally, I like a human, but uh, for people that can't access or are on a long waiting list, it's a great option. Thank I think you. there's another reason they're more effective, and it's that they are able to access all of our previous conversations. Right. I was able to, I created a personalized a co-parenting council, and I fed it every single conversation between my co-parent and I that have happened over the last decade. And so it knows everything about her and I. Uh, I did, you know, so it's it's it knows so much more than you can feed to a therapist in, in an hour or two or ten hours. But question: Will insurance cover it, and what will it cost per session? Are we talking a thousand mm-hmm. an hour? Are we talking a twenty-two dollar copay? What are we? talking grin just one sentence what what do you think will it cost yeah but i wish i could do that in one sentence i i think right now most of those companies that are doing it are doing it privately and there will probably be a cpt code for an ai therapist i don't think it's going to happen in 2024 though thank (laughs) you grin i want to talk to you about doing a show later in the year about about the future of therapy and ai if you'd like to bring me a panel of three colleagues and we'll do that i think it'd be fascinating thank you very much yeah let's move on eric myers here you are smiles and all eric just he just lights up the room i don't know what it is about this guy eric we'd love to hear your predictions four minutes go well, thank you so much, Bonnie, for having me back. Thank you to the rest of the amazing panel for all your amazing insights. You've got me thinking about a variety of different things. So I'll try my best to add to the already amazing points that have been made. Uh, so the first prediction that I have uh, when it comes to AI for the upcoming year is kind of a you know piggybacking off of Leonard's point. He touched on something that really stood out to me that I was already thinking of beforehand, and that's privacy and trust. You know, when we've talked about AI so far this morning and just kind of our general insights and knowledge into what AI is, you know, the areas that AI is, you know, getting more and more into, I think for this upcoming year, you know, we've really looked at the optimistic side of AI. We've really looked at the benefits and advantages that we've, you know, that it provides. But I think, you know, we also have to look at the risks that AI could potentially, you know, cause organizations, humans you know, businesses, et cetera. And there's no shortage of risks that are out there. You know, we could spend hours upon hours talking about that. But the first one that really stood out to me, and again, I want to give (laughs) Leonard lots of credit for this, is privacy. 
you know, whether someone is doing a real estate transaction, whether they are dealing with, you know, a therapist, whether they are working with an educator, you name it. Privacy is something that's top of mind, I think, for all of us. We all have different, you know, preferences as far as what we should think is private versus maybe what we're more comfortable with being open. And I think it's going to be on an individual case by case basis, but there's just going to be a greater conversation. And I think a greater, you know, movement towards just discussing privacy and what role AI plays in trying to create and protect, you know, individuals' privacy, especially when it comes to financials, you know, other types of confidential information. I think there will be a greater shift and, and movement towards privacy and AI, you know, going hand in hand with that. Second big prediction that I have, and this kind of goes to what Brian was mentioning earlier with Oreos and orange creamsicles, is I think AI is going to be used a little bit more, and you know, it already is, and you've seen it, especially this past and last year, but I think more so this year is in a more lighter way. You know, AI might assist people with making some great food recipes. You know, if I'm going on, if I'm joining Leonard on a conference, you know, what are some good restaurant recommendations for the city that I'm presenting in? You know, yes, we have Google. Yes, we have different, you know, websites that assist with that. But AI can, I think, help with efficiency and just kind of providing a different perspective, maybe an easier way of accessing this. So I think it's only going to grow as far as just accessibility and, you know, helping us solve a variety of different things. And last but certainly not least is coming from an education perspective. Uh, and I want to give Alex credit for this one, too, about AI, you know, helping students get the best of the best as someone who prides themselves on wanting to be a top tier instructor. I do think, you know, AI is going to assist more with individuals who might be struggling in a finance class or a law class with having more resources available than just their current instructor or their current professor. It's really going to help people in all educational pursuits, all educational ventures. And I think will really assist with people's knowledge in their, you know, area of specialization and where they wish to, you know, grow and, and gain further insight. Uh, so those are kind of the three main predictions that I have for AI. Yes, it's going to continue to grow and evolve, be very positive, but I think there will be a greater movement towards just understanding the risks and especially privacy. Thank you. And I like the idea of a lighter side of AI this year. I think it's time to lighten up a little bit. And I don't know, maybe trust will come with lightening up where we're it's doing things that don't put us at risk, that make us smile. It's time for some more smiles. There we go. Thank you, Eric. And to Cluette, you're up next here. I'm putting you on speaker view. Go. Good morning. Good morning. So, um, so I'm going to stay firmly in the higher education realm, and I'll start at the 10,000 foot level and then bring it down for you. So, uh, my first prediction is um, uh, the college and university accreditors will not take a prescriptive approach to addressing AI. Um, yet accreditors do want, want assurances from these colleges and universities that these degrees aren't being awarded to people for work done by a bot. So, um, so in other words, they want assurances that there aren't diploma mills out there. Um, for them, AI squarely falls in the realm of academic integrity. So that's the first um, prediction is, is they're really gonna push it back on colleges and universities to make sure that AI is being used with integrity. Um, the second prediction I have is, is that um, in order to address the AI concerns, more and more universities and colleges will need to integrate AI um, into their um, academic integrity policies. And so what does that mean? Do we name names uh, and things like that? What I am finding is, is that more and more of the help sites 
for example, that help uh, students maybe who um, English is not their first language and they may use a site to help them write better or write more clearly in the English language. I'm finding that if I do have an assignment that doesn't allow AI, that I really have to have a long list of these are, you know, this is what I mean when I say AI. Many people are just thinking a specific chat GPT or something like that, but I'm finding that I'm having to go deeper and deeper um, into other tools that are commonly used with um, students. Um, and so the third one would be is, is that trainers and faculty such as myself, we have to get out there and use AI and play with AI ourselves so that we can understand the benefits and the limitations. For example, I was having a, some fun um, working with uh, AI on my schedule and it's great with changing dates uh, for my um, calendar schedule. So we need to use AI ourselves because the benefits will help us develop um, really useful assignments that help students use AI rather than misuse AI to cheat. So, um, so that's one of the things. When we learn the limitations of a of AI, um, whereas it's really bad at some things that I need it to do for me, um, then we can also understand um, when our students are misusing AI as well. So, and if I have a little bit more time, I have two more predictions that um, that came from our wonderful discussion here, and so. One of the other things I thought about is accessibility so um, and accommodations that we have for students with different abilities. And so AI could very much be used to help um, assist them to uh, perform um, you know, seamlessly like everyone else, um, but we need to make sure that it is not necessarily enabling and it is um, helping them um, with their work. And then the other thing is, is that, um, so Grin talked about AI uh, in terms of like a therapist and things like that. And so it was unveiled to us this past fall that we actually have at my college, we have Ellie, and she is someone that students can just talk to. Um, and so we were really excited on one hand, but not so much on the other hand. Um, as long as Ellie is telling them where they might be able to find something more easily on our website, that's great. But when Ellie was kind of helping them talk about a problem or something like that, um, then um, the, the faculty really had some concerns about that, especially because we had some, some um, mischievous faculty who were able to go in and break Ellie and have Ellie say things that weren't appropriate. So, um, so we'll, we'll have to, to weigh that, the benefits to that. Yeah, you might want to talk about that sometime soon, uh, Bonnie, but those are my predictions and I'd love to hear what you think about them. Thank you. I think they're fascinating. What is Ellie and how do you spell it? Is it like Dolly with a dash capital E or E-L-L dash E? What is she? Just E-L-L-I-E and she's on our, our website and um, students can just talk with her and have a normal conversation with her. Interesting. Very interesting. And, and she can kind of point them in different directions like, oh, you might need to see an academic counselor or, oh, you might, you know, try thinking about, about this program or this class. So as, you know, people talked about having more streamlined pathways, I think AI is very helpful in that regard. So the faculty were very excited about that, um, that 
prospect and that aspect of it, just not where they were actually coaching students, um, you know, on, on more of a personal or interpersonal level. Until somebody made Ellie naughty. We'll leave that one alone. Oh, yeah, it was really Thank fun. Thank you very much. <laughs> Noah is taking deep breaths. He's been waiting almost an hour. Noah Feeler, talk to me. Go ahead. Well, thank you, Bonnie. Uh, it's hard going last because everybody's taking all my good stuff. So you're not last. You're um, next to last. You're next to last. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, second to last. All right. Well, I'm going to stick with lawyers' professional liability and legal practice because that's my area of expertise. Uh, I, I see coming in 2024 continued and uh, you know increasing use of generative AI. Like Leonard suggests, though, we're going to see it. I think in a more nuanced fashion. It's not going to displace lawyers, which which has been the concern, but I think it's going to assist, uh, much like you used in your opening poem, right? Uh, AI, ChatGPT wrote it and you fine-tuned it. I think we're going to see more closed and fewer open systems. And this, I think, is what Grin was talking about. For those folks who are paying attention, in in legal practice, we have a big problem with security and with privacy. And the, the law firm's you know, in, in one of the few instances in which law firms or lawyers can lead any sort of technology, we've we've been doing it in this one. And that is that the larger law firms out there already have developed their own closed generative AI systems, which permits them to just use a universe of trusted and proven uh, material information that is not generally accessible. And that means that you see fewer things like hallucinations. You see fewer things like, uh, you know, like Ellie running running rampant, having been accessed or, or broken by somebody else. And so I think in this, in this very small, <laughs> very small place, lawyers are actually at, 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 at least some of the frontiers of what's happening. I think we're going to see AI, at least in the legal profession used as, as, uh, a content creator, but with human fine-tuning. Advocacy, persuasion is not generative AI's strong suit. It doesn't understand what motivates us. It doesn't understand what convinces us, a jury, a judge, a fact finder. Uh, So I, I think AI for legal practitioners is going to be not so much useful in litigation other than gathering information or facts or sorting it, but it will be more useful in transactional and planning functions like uh, sales, purchases, uh, probably estate planning, things like that. And it will free up lawyers because of its uh, its use in uh, sifting through these large amounts of information. It's going to free up lawyers to do what we're best at, which is creative thinking, uh, creative approaches to problem solving, creative approaches to deal making and persuasion. And those are the things that clients want to pay us for. They don't want to pay us to sit and dig through mountains and boxes of information when we've got somebody else who can do that for us. That's going to create issues in billing, just like uh, Grin was mentioning and you were mentioning. Who's going to pay for what now and, and what what do clients want to pay us for? That, I think, is going to lead to a, a drive to make lawyers more efficient, uh, but it's also going to create uh, an effect where larger institutional clients with larger legal spend are going to demand that lawyers begin to use AI as opposed to permitting lawyers to use AI. So you're going to see a greater effect in larger law firms with closed systems, and I think not so much in smaller or solo firms. Now, how much that affects the rest of us, I don't know, because in fact, smaller firms and solos make up 94, 95% of all lawyers out there. 
one other uh, another prediction is that some lawyers are going to get rich using uh, using AI. Others are going to get sued, disciplined, and sanctioned. You're going to see increasing discipline and sanctions. And along that along that line, you're going to see uh, legal malpractice claims for folks who use AI. And on the other hand, I think you're going to see for the first time legal malpractice claims for folks, for lawyers who don't use AI for the reasons I just suggested, which is it can be a great efficiency uh, creator. So I think I'm out of time. I've got more, but it's we'll perfect. call it there. Well, we'll have to do a show. Uh, get in touch with me, Noah. Let's put together a panel of four legal people and let's talk about that. I was intrigued when you said lawyers might get sued because they didn't use AI. And one thing we didn't talk about that we'll do later on, February or March, we'll talk about what does this have to do with the curricula, curriculum in law school, teaching new lawyers, future lawyers, how to incorporate AI into their practice, into what they do. Very interesting. Thank you. S.A. Grant, the man of patience. Here we go. World Traveler, go ahead. Four minutes, all yours. Tell us. Well, I definitely appreciate it. I think this, what I'm about to say, it, this is the first time in our relative history that what I'm going to say, I would not be committed into a psych ward or into a padded room, right? So I'm thinking that it's, it's the time to where all these different keywords from like the early 90s until now are all coming to fruition to where they all could work in one ecosystem. So we're talking about the dawn of a digital chief officer, optimized, autonomous, machine-to-machine learning, integration, quantum computing, automation, blockchain security, with AI. So let's talk about that as a scenario, right? So you're looking at it from a research and development. Maybe someone has a heart. That heart has some kind of chip in it. And the heart is starting to short out before the person knows it, before the doctor knows it. The research and development is collecting this data. Then that data goes into smart manufacturing to where they're starting to build out the new parts before the doctor or the individual even know that the heart's about to fail. Then you're talking about the logistics and supply chain aspect of that. So what does that look like, right? So now this heart is being built out. It needs to be shipped. It needs to be delivered. And all of that is going to be based upon the finances. So now you're looking at the finance structure. Is it going to be something that's going to be delivered overnight or is it going to be something that can be delivered within six weeks, and that's going to optimize that delivery structure. In addition to that, with all that big data going into it, you could look at it from the standpoint of, well, now we're looking at money. How is someone going to pay for this? Do they have insurance or do they have a life insurance policy? Or is it kind of say a pro bono situation? All of these factors could then be delivered and quantified and collaborated within a short period of time because of the quantum computing, allowing that individual to get that heart or that new replacement before their time is up, before they even know that their time is up. Well, I can say is, wow. Tell me a little bit more. Any other uh, applications in health besides the heart? Any other examples you want to share? You've got another two minutes. Yeah, I mean, it's more than just, I mean, I just use health as an example, but from the standpoint of, you know, trucks, right? I mean, going back into the logistics, if you have a truck, mm-hmm. this say, for example, of a spark plug is going to blow, let's say it's a special spark plug because you're talking about a, um, a digital engine, right? An engine that's not necessarily a combustible engine. That may be a part that needs to be sourced from overseas. It kind of goes into that space as well from the machine to machining learning aspect. They can kind of say, hey, we need this part. This part doesn't exist. And then the manufacturer then needs to start developing this part. And then literally you go into your mailbox one day and the part's there with all the information that you need via email to tell you what you need to do, how you need to do it, and to pull that particular truck in and replace that part. So essentially going back into the digital 
um, chief officer aspect of it, like optimizing business structures. I mean, Allison, you can kind of cut the workforce in half, unfortunately, but fortunately at the same time, because now everything is going to be completely optimized based upon the finances, based upon the delivery, based upon when things can be delivered, when things can be developed quickly and efficiently. Will you be using AI more this year, SA, your, with your clients in their branding work? Uh, well, it's to the point now that I have an AI avatar that has my voice cloned. So technically speaking, I'm going into the stage to where all of our content can, can, could be developed consecutively by us not even being there. And that's the goal. The goal is I could be in 25 places at once. I could be talking to someone on a Zoom and at the same time creating live content. And I'm two places at once, right? So it gives me an opportunity to, to maximize and optimize everything that I'm doing at scale. Leonard is looking like, wow, I could be at five conferences at the same time and Bonnie yeah. won't know where I am, right? <laughs> very, very got a talk essay. <laughs> yeah, you two have to talk. Very, very interesting. I want to thank you all for your predictions. I love the potpourri effect where you're all coming from different perspectives, different industries, different organizations, different educational backgrounds, different careers and professions. Very interesting. We have, uh, amazingly, you all got your time in the sun and we still have five minutes left. This has never happened on a, a crystal ball prediction show. So here's what I want to do. I mentioned this before we started the show. I'd like to know if you had a chance to speak through AI to a real person who is no longer on this earth. And that's probably a very relative debatable term, subjective term, and or a fictional person. So one real person, no longer alive, and one fictional person, to whom would you like to speak? I'm going in the original order. So Alex Backer, talk to me. One real person and one fictional person. Who do you want to talk to through AI? I like uh, smart, creative people. So I would talk to my uh, great-grand-uncle, Albert Einstein, and probably also Richard Feynman. And by the way, I should clarify that my last, uh, my predictions were not only coming for, uh, through in 2024, but they're 2024 and beyond. We got that. We got that. And what about a <laughs> fictional character? Einstein and Feynman were real people. One fictional character. Who would you like? Mm, Sherlock Holmes, probably, or Tintin. There you go. Martin Stanzig, who would you like to talk to? Real in the past and not so real. Yeah, Alex already took Albert Einstein, which would have been my first choice. I think my second choice is Ben Franklin, uh, would be sort of a very impressive one. Uh, totally intimidated, but okay. Um, as far as fictional, I have to think about that, but Forrest Gump might be an interesting one. Ah, very interesting. Brian Mattimore, Mr. W, go. I guess it would be uh, Hemingway. Uh, you know, he wrote... Uh, just try to write one true sentence, you know, and so I'd love to explore that with him and and and, and really interview him and, and go into much greater depth. Uh, you know, maybe I should write a book called Interviews with Dead Writers, because uh, that that would be really, really interesting, because some are really good at dialogue and some are really good at plotting and some are really good at, at surprising, et cetera. And, I, and I'll, I'll forgive me, but I'll just uh, I think I'll rip off the Sherlock Holmes thing in this quotes book I wrote. We talked about the fact that you can uh, live your life. Uh, you can only understand your life backwards, uh, but you have to live it forwards. And, and uh, Sherlock Holmes is a good example of that, I think. Thank you very much. Leonard Lee, would you talk to? Yeah, um, I'd have to say Steve Jobs just to get his take on what he thinks about what's going on um, uh, these days, right, uh, in the world of tech. And then in the science fiction realm, maybe um, Chewbacca. Ooh, I'm, interesting. Uh, trying to brush up on my 
Kaziki or whatever that language is called. And, you know, I've gotten really rusty. So you yeah. could take lessons. Very, yeah, very interesting. Green Lord, who would you like to talk to? Uh, yeah, I think I'm struggling with this one. Um, I think I'd like to talk to some famous dead psychologists. Uh, it's hard not to want to say Freud since he's so controversial. Um, and as far as a fictional character, uh, I think I talked about this guy at the last show of yours, Bonnie, but I really like Agent Cooper um, from Twin Peaks. And I just love Lynchian films. So I think I'd like to just get in that world and talk to them. Thank you, Eric Myers. Quick. Uh, I would like to talk to Don Shula, the former head coach of the Miami Dolphins, you know, who coached them to a perfect record in the 72 season. I'd love yeah. to know how he did it, how he got the best out of his team and just got that perfection. And? As far as fictional character, I would love to speak to Marlon Brando's character from The Godfather, just what went in his Ooh, head. Interesting. What the for that. So I thought, I think that would be fascinating. Interesting. And Cluet, what do you want? Well, I'm thinking about Harriet Tubman and um, and then also from the fictional realm, probably somebody from Star Wars, but not Chewbacca. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Maybe Leia. Maybe Leia. That would be interesting with, with all she was in real life, too. Noah Fiedler, who would you want to talk to? Uh, James Madison for uh, non-fictional and for fictional, I think the uh, the two guys that were in Fight Club, the two main characters. Interesting. You got two, a double there. S.A., who would you like to talk to? So I've thought about this many times over. So it'll definitely be Tesla on one hand. And I want to have a sit down with Tesla and Mr. Manhattan from DC Comics. Thank you very much. And I would like to talk to Albert Einstein and ask him how he feels about being misquoted worldwide, globally, all the time, and that there are mm. actually books about what he never said. I used to use a website called Quote Investigator. Mm. And uh, same thing with Churchill. And I will tell you all that in one show a couple of years ago, one of my guests, when we were we were allowing famous people quotes from real people rather than fictional quotes, which I do on my show now, somebody brought me a quote they thought was from Churchill. So I looked it up and it was my due diligence. Noah, I want you to back me up on this. On the show, I announced that it had been part of an ad campaign for Budweiser beer in 1938. And the line was created by a very clever copywriter for an advertisement. It had nothing to do with Churchill, but it was tagged onto Churchill. Yes, we have one minute left. Thank you, Andrew. So there you go. So I want to say thank you to all. And we have less than one minute left. Stick around. We're going to do a debrief afterwards. I am I tell you what impressed me the most about all of you is that you listened to each other and you referred to each other while you were sharing your predictions. This was a wonderful party. I am so grateful to all of you and I wish you all the best of everything you wish for, hope for, and work for and good health in 2024. Everybody raise your finger. We're going to do the no, no, no. Come on, raise your, raise your finger. On the count of three, you're going to join me in no, 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 really loud. Last time they didn't do it loud. People say the future is already here. Alex, put up that finger. Martin, put up. People say the future is already here. And our answer is one, two, three. No, 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 no. Oh, what a good group today. Wow. <laughs> the reason is that was yesterday's future. The sentence I just said was the future. <laughs> there you go. We're all going to do our best to make it a more exciting, more interesting, more ideated, Mr. Manamore, ideated future. And we're going to take it where we need it to go. Bonnie D signing off. Everybody wave goodbye. Don't go away. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Oh